All right, well, today we're looking at Colossians 3.18 through 4.1. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. Uh, if you um, need a Bible, they are on either side of the sound booth. They're there every week. The, the hardcover Bibles are for you to use during the service, but the paperback Bibles uh, are our gift to you. If you uh, don't have one or if you just need a new Bible, you're welcome to take one of those uh, as our gift to you. As has been emphasized throughout this series, the book of Colossians is about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Paul has written of Christ's supremacy over creation and the church. He has emphasized the deity of Jesus. He has written of Christ's supremacy in salvation. Uh, He has written of Christ's supremacy in guiding us through life, in our growth, in our Christian faith. And last week we saw very practical applications from Paul in walking us through Christ's supremacy in our lives through the change that he brings to our lives and the change that we choose for our lives as we exalt Christ to his rightful place. And today we're going to continue looking at very practical instructions from Paul's writing in Colossians. We come to a section where Paul talks about the difference that Christ, the difference that the supremacy of Christ is to make in our relationships. Uh, Specifically, this section addresses Christ's supremacy in the marriage relationship, in the parent-child relationship, and then shifts to Christ's supremacy in the master-slave relationship from which we can make application uh, to our work relationships, specifically relationships between supervisors and subordinates. And I realize there's probably a joke in there somewhere, but uh, I wasn't clever enough to figure it out. So uh, most of us are in the position in our respective employment where we are in a supervisory position to someone, and then we are in a subordinate position uh, to someone else. And so there's a lot of practical stuff uh, for us here today, stuff that applies to every single one of us. And so here's my encouragement to you today, be ready to receive from God's word, from the words of Paul, for yourself. If you start applying this to someone else's life, stop yourself. Don't do that. Say, God, show me how this applies to my life. And this is how we should always approach scripture. The the first thing, the first concern is always, God, what are you saying to me before it is, God, what are you saying to someone else? It's always me first, God, speak to me, work on me, change me. So I hope that we'll uh, approach the text that way today. So let's read Colossians 3, 18 through 4, 1. I'll read, uh, you follow along as I do. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Happy Father's Day. Uh, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, 
because you know that you also have a master in heaven. And so Paul's appealing to us regarding the supremacy of Christ in human relationships. He first references the marriage relationship, then the parent-child relationship, and then the relationship between slaves and their masters. Before we go any further, we need to understand the context that Paul is writing in. In the first century, each of these relationships that Paul addresses were entirely one-sided relationships. In both Jewish and Greek society, the marriage relationship was entirely one-sided, with the husband having all the power in the relationship. In Jewish law, the woman or the wife was considered to be a possession of her husband, very much like his house or his flocks or any of his material goods. She had no legal rights. In Greek society, a respectable woman lived a life of complete seclusion. She never appeared in the streets alone. Complete servitude was demanded of the wife toward her husband. It was so bad in Greek society that the husband could enter into as many extramarital relationships as he chose without receiving any societal criticism whatsoever. And yet the wife, if she were to step outside of the marriage, would face death. In this society, all privilege belonged to the husband, all duty belonged to the wife. Similarly, in the parent-child relationship, it was all one-sided. Children were under the complete domination of their parents. And the supreme example of this was what was known as the Roman law of the father's power. Under the law, a father could do literally anything that he chose to do with his children. He could sell his children into slavery. He could force them into hard labor. He even had the right to condemn his child to death and carry out the execution himself. All the rights belong to the father. All the duties belong to the child. And of course, it wasn't any better for slaves. The slave was considered a thing in the eyes of the law. There was no such thing as a code of working conditions. Slaves that became old and unproductive could be put out to die. Slaves had no right to marry, and if they happened to cohabitate and children were born from that relationship, the children became the property of the master. All the rights belong to the master. All the duties belong to the slave. First century relationships were entirely one-sided relationships. All rights, all power belong to the one group, husband, parent, master. All duties belong to the other group, wife, child, slave. And what we're going to see as we go through Paul's writing uh, is that one-sided, a, a one-sided relationship is not a Christ-honoring relationship. If we're in a relationship where we are demanding all the rights and we're placing all the duties on the other person, we are not in a Christ-honoring relationship because Christ-honoring relationships are not one-sided relationships. We have to understand the context of relationships in the first century to understand how radical what Paul wrote to the Colossians really was and to understand how radical a change Jesus made and makes and Christianity made and makes in human relationships. 
The Christian ethic for relationships is one of mutual obligation. It is never an ethic where all duties are on one side. It's an ethic of mutual obligation, of mutual responsibility. And so in the words of William Barclay, it is an ethic where the thought of privilege and rights falls into the background and the thought of duty and obligation takes priority. The Christian ethic doesn't ask, what do others owe me? The Christian ethic asks, what do I owe others? The Christian ethic of personal relationships sees Jesus Christ as supreme in all relationships, sees every relationship that we're involved in as being in the Lord. And so as Christians, how we relate to others is understood to be of great importance to God. How we relate to others is to be guided by each of us giving Christ the proper place of supremacy in our lives and in our relationships. And so here's what this means. These are some, these are some challenging truths. How I treat my spouse reveals the extent to which I have allowed Christ his proper place of supremacy in my life. How I treat my kids and how kids treat their parents reveals the extent to which both have made Christ supreme in their lives. It's the same with employers and employees, supervisors and subordinates. We relate to one another with the ethic of mutual obligation if Christ is supreme in our lives. As Christ becomes supreme, we move from one-sided relationships to relationships of mutual obligation. This was a radical change at the time of Christ. And this is a change that Christ made then and Christ still makes in people's lives. You know, our circumstances are very different than they were in the first century. But you might have noticed this. The world is still populated with people who are trying to have one-sided relationships where they get all the benefits and the other person has all the duties. You might be in one of those relationships. You might know this very well. You could be on either side of that equation. And so we need to receive what Paul writes. And we need to exalt Christ to his rightful place in our relationships, which will move us from this one-sided approach to the truly Christian ethic of mutual obligation. And so let's briefly consider each of these three types of relationships in which Christ is to be supreme, and that if he is, we will change from one-sided relationships to those of mutual obligation. Verse 18, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. The application of law and custom in the first century made the husband essentially the unquestioned dictator of the marriage. His wife, I see the chuckles. Some people are daydreaming about that. His wife needed to make him happy, attend to his needs, and he owed her nothing. Christ... Christianity made a radical change. It changed marriage from a dictatorship to a partnership. Yes, Paul affirms the wife's responsibility to submit, 
And here at VCC, we, we largely view this as being a tie-breaking role for the husband. And note that Paul appeals to the wives to do this, not because of cultural norms, but as is fitting in the Lord. Paul is saying that it's pleasing to God that a wife offers some degree of deference to her husband. Equal partners, though they are, but with the husband having a unique leadership role within that partnership. And so Paul appealing to wives to submit as is fitting in the Lord rather than because of culture or custom is a pretty revolutionary thought. But the really revolutionary thing is what he says to husbands. In the context where wives were viewed as property, where there was no expectation for the wife to be treated well at all, Paul says to Christian men, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Culture said husbands had no obligation. Christ changes that. Christian men who allow Christ his rightful place of supremacy don't go with the cultural norms. They have a God-given obligation to their wives to love them, to care for them, to watch out for their best interest. Yes, yes, yes. But now beyond that, it is to treat them as a partner, an equal partner, because they are an equal partner. They're not to be treated as subservient. Christ makes husbands and wives mutually obligated to each other both with duties to serve the other as is pleasing to Christ. Any marriage in which everything is done for the convenience of one of the partners and where the other simply exists to gratify the needs and desires of the first is not a Christ-honoring marriage. It is not truly a Christian marriage. When Christ is supreme in our lives, in our marriages, we become concerned with our duties to our spouse, and we become much less concerned about our spouse's duties to us, and we do this because of Jesus. Christ is to have supremacy in all things, in all of our relationships. So Christian husband, is Christ supreme in your relationship with your wife? Christian wife, is Christ supreme in your relationship with your husband? Verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. In the first century world, all the duties belonged to the child. The father could do as he pleased. The child was his property. Paul, the Bible, God, Still, command children to obey your parents in everything. Still there. They still have that responsibility. But as with husbands and wives, the rationale changes. It's no longer obey your parents because you have no rights. It's no longer obey your parents because you're a nobody. Obey your parents because this is the way our culture does it. It is obey your parents for this pleases the Lord. Those of you who are still young enough to be in your parents' home, to be under your parents' roof, you have a God-given responsibility to obey your parents. And a lot of those who need to hear this are over in the other room right now. (laughs) Turn the video feed on, quick. (laughs) Pipe it in there. 
have a God-given responsibility to obey your parents. The command isn't absolute, but in all but the most exceptional circumstances, such as the tragic situation when a parent uh, tries to direct a child to sin in some way, children have a God-given responsibility to obey your parents because this pleases God. And God is to have the place of supremacy in your life. Children, how you obey and honor your parents is about more than your parents. It really goes to the heart of your honor for and obedience to Christ. You can never separate your treatment of your parents from your relationship with Jesus. If Christ has his proper place in your life, it is going to impact in a positive way your obedience to your parents. But the truly radical thing is is what Paul lets parents know. And that is that because of Christ's supremacy in their relationship, they now have responsibility to their kids. This isn't one-sided anymore. There's mutual obligation. The parent has a responsibility to the child. It is not to embitter them so that they won't become discouraged. Parents, we have a fine line to walk. We must discipline our children. We're called by God to do that. We must guide them. We must correct them. But in our concern to properly train and guide and correct and motivate, because of Christ's supremacy, we have to be careful not to frustrate our children, not to embitter our children, not to drive them to discouragement. And to the extent that we do this, parents, we're living as though Christ is not supreme in our parenting. And to the extent that we do this, we are displeasing to the Lord. Children need discipline, but they also need encouragement. John Newton said of his father, I know that my father loved me, but he did not seem to wish me to see it. Martin Luther's father was so stern with him that all of his life he found it difficult to pray our father because the word father represented nothing but severity to him. And this prompted Luther to say, spare the rod and spoil the child, it is true, but beside the rod keep an apple to give him when he does well. It's a good thought. Not sure the apple would be all that encouraging these days. Maybe a different kind of apple. But that would get kind of expensive. I can encourage you once in your life. Parents, how we treat our kids is of concern to God. If Christ has his rightful place of supremacy in our lives, yes, we will discipline our kids, but we'll also be concerned to encourage our kids. You see, for Christians, the parent-child relationship is one of mutual obligation when Christ holds his proper place of supremacy in our lives. So today on Father's Day 2016, dads, let's examine ourselves and make sure that how we're relating to our kids gives testimony to Christ being supreme in our lives. And now verse 22. 
Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. First, I probably need to acknowledge the challenge this passage presents us, because Paul addresses slaves and masters without uh, giving any condemnation of the institution of slavery. And the reality is, is that there is no express prohibition against slavery in the New Testament. Now, some translations of the Bible use the term bondservant instead of slave, and it should be noted that bondservants or slaves in the New Testament described roles that were much broader in scope than our modern conception of slavery. Uh, that said, it, it usually was not a, a, a great situation for bondservants or slaves. And yet the writers did not prohibit these relationships. The writers of the Bible did not prohibit these relationships. But what they did do was they radically changed them. They radically altered them. And in fact, the way that they altered them made them something quite different than what they had been before. When verse 4.1 says to masters, provide your slaves what is right and fair because you know you have a master in heaven, it represented a change from viewing slaves as commodities that could be treated without regard for their humanity. And it radically altered the view of Christian masters to seeing their bondservants, their slaves, as fellow human beings, in many cases, fellow Christians. And here's what it did that was so profound. It changed the master-slave relationship to one of mutual obligation. Mutual obligation. And it should also be noted that while the New Testament didn't prohibit slavery, wherever the gospel has gone, slavery has been uprooted and eliminated. It has often taken much longer than it should have, but it eventually happens. And so the master is commanded by Paul, and this is just incredibly revolutionary, to alter their view of their slaves as commodities to something very different, and to begin to treat them with the respect due people created in the image of God and the respect due people who are also Christians. Radical, revolutionary change. But now he has a whole lot to say to the bondservant or to the slave. Obey your master in everything. Not only when their eye is on you or to win their favor. But serve your master with sincerity. Serve your master with reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do for your master, work at it with all your heart as, you're working, as if you're working for the Lord, not for men. Do this knowing that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. In serving your master well, it is really Christ you're serving. And here's something that they were to keep in mind and, and has great application for us today. Trust that any wrongs done to you will be repaid. Any injustice you endure, God will square away that injustice someday. Now, I don't have time to fully treat this section today, but in our context, the clearest application for us is the employer-employee relationship 
the supervisor-subordinate relationship. Employers, supervisors, you have a responsibility to treat your employees, your subordinates, in a way that is right and fair before God. You are to treat them right, understanding that you answer to God, your master in heaven, for how you treat them. And so if you're an employer, a supervisor, and you're finding yourself consistently demanding 70 to 80 hours a week from your employees with no regard for their family life, no regard for missed kids' events, God is going to have something to say about that. He has something to say about it right now if we'll listen to him, but if we don't, there's going to be a day God's going to have something to say about that. If you always find some reason to avoid providing an earned pay raise, God's going to have something to say about that. If you speak harshly to employees as a matter of normal conduct, you berate them, you curse at them, God's going to have something to say about that. Employers, supervisors must treat their employees right and fair, keeping in mind that they answer to their master in heaven for how they treat their subordinates. And let's remember who, for all of us who are in some kind of a supervisory role, let's remember how Christ views the people who work for us. Okay? He loves them. And he sent his son, uh, God sent his son to die for them. Christ came to die for them. And so the people that we are mistreating are people God loves and Christ died for. Every single one of our subordinates are people that God loves and Christ died for. And so when we mistreat them, do you think that maybe God cares about that? Christian employers ought to be the best employers anywhere, at least in regards to how they treat their employees with care and respect. And now employees, subordinates. And notice, it's very interesting here, that most of what Paul writes is addressed to people in subordinate positions. You would have expected him, I would think, to have a lot more to say to to earthly masters, but he actually writes more uh, to the slaves, to the bond servants, to the people who are in the subordinate role. Um, why, why is that? Well, I don't actually know. But, but one of the speculations I read this week is that perhaps it was because Paul kind of understood that most Christians were going to live their lives in subordinate roles in a culture that was hostile to them. That might have application for us. If not now, soon. And so here's what Paul writes to those who are in subordinate positions. You're not to give lip service to your employer or supervisor. You're not to tell them what they want to hear while doing the opposite. You're not to roll your eyes at what they tell you to do. You aren't to obey them simply to win their favor and gain some advantage for yourself. You're to do it sincerely. You are to sincerely serve your employer supervisor, recognizing that you show reverence to the Lord by doing that. Because here's what Paul lets us know. 
Everything we do is to be done as though we are working directly for the Lord, no matter who our earthly supervisor is. And we're assured that God himself will reward us for good service we give to our earthly employers and supervisors. And here's what this means. Christians should be able to work honorably for a boss who is a total jerk. It is hard. Christians should be able to work honorably for a boss who throws a box at them, which I had happened. And here's how we do it. By remembering that the Lord will reward us for doing it. And by remembering that justice will be served for every wrong that we endure. Now, I don't know how all that works. You know, God is merciful to everybody. So I don't know how, you know, God works all this justice stuff out. But, but we have this assurance that God is seeing every injustice that we endure. And somehow, the scales are going to balance out. God's going to make all this stuff right. So Christians ought to be the best employees in every organization. At least in regards to attitude and diligence and sincere commitment to work faithfully for the good of the employer's interest. Doesn't matter what a jerk they are. As Christians, we are called to work for the good of their interest. Christian, this is a rubber meets the road teaching by Paul. Paul is saying this is one of the things that will happen in your life if Christ is supreme in your life. So how are we doing? How are we doing? Are our lives, how we relate to our employers, showing that Christ is supreme in our life? And honestly, folks, this applies to every uh, situation where we are in some type of a subordinate role where we are following the leadership of another person, it even applies to ministry leaders within your church. What kind of service are you giving to those who are leading you in the context of ministries in our church? Are you doing what they ask you to do, but rolling your eyes at them? Not pleasing to the Lord. Are you saying you'll show up at a certain time and then you don't show up that time and you just slough it off as, oh well, I'm just a volunteer. Not pleasing to the Lord. Are you committed to actually put some effort into what you're called to do and what you're called to do actually requires effort or it's not going to go well and, and you don't actually put that effort in and so then you just wing it? Not pleasing to the Lord. Christians ought to be the best in every circumstance where they are following the lead 
of someone else. And they ought to do that because of the supremacy of Christ in their lives. Now I say this assuming that virtually everybody is doing what they ought to do. But if that landed on you and you need to receive it, from Paul. (laughs) Blame Paul for it. So what we've seen here in Colossians 3 and 4 is that Christ Christianity revolutionizes relationships from one-sided relationships to relationships of mutual obligation. Husbands and wives are mutually obligated to each other. Parents and children are mutually obligated to each other. Supervisors and subordinates both have obligations to each other. And everything we do in each of these relationships, we are to do as for the Lord. And so husband, how you treat your wife tells us an awful lot about whether or not Christ has his rightful place of supremacy in your life. Wife, how you treat your husband tells an awful lot about whether or not Christ is supreme in your life. Children, how you obey your parents reveals whether Christ has his rightful place of supremacy in your life. Parents, if we're frustrating our children, if we are embittering them, it's revealing something about the supremacy of Christ in our lives and what it's revealing is that maybe he's not so supreme in our lives. Employers, employees, supervisors, subordinates, how you relate to each other reveals a lot about whether or not Christ has his proper place in your life. Church member, how you relate to your ministry leader, whether or not you're showing up on time, serving faithfully, giving your best in that ministry, it reveals a lot about whether or not Christ has his rightful place of supremacy in your life and in that relationship. Paul tells us that we serve Christ by how we relate to each other. And our willingness to relate to one another with the ethic of mutual obligation reveals whether or not Christ holds that place of preeminence, that place of supremacy in our lives that he is supposed to. And so here's my appeal to us, my prayer for us today is that we would be people who would relate to each other as to the Lord. And let's remember that even when it's difficult to relate to each other in this way, when we do it, when we serve each other in a way that shows Christ's supremacy in our lives, we are promised that God himself will reward us. Christ rewards those who honor his supremacy in their relationships. And so let's be people who do that in every one of our relationships. Amen? Let's stand.